Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Charlie, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Uh, got a quick question for you. I need to know the proper way to seal nail holes in wallboard because it seems like every time I've done it in the past, the products I'm using, or product I'm using, it, it shrinks and leaves like a little round circle around the outer perimeter. Uh, and when you paint it, it doesn't go away. So, tell me how to do it the right way. And by wallboard, you're talking about the sheetrock. Yes. Okay. The proper thing to do is you use the sheetrock mud to coat over the top of where the the nail hole was. And, uh-huh. you know, the nail first gets countersunk with the hammerhead, so it makes a dimple about one inch in diameter, about like the size of a quarter. Okay. And then the sheetrock mud, you know, you you scrape over it with the sheetrock mud putty knife. Uh-huh. So it just fills that in flat with the sheetrock, and that's really all there is to it. The biggest problem that people have, though, where it starts coming out like that, is if they use a straight nail instead of a ring shank nail or a screw, the wood expands and contracts with moisture changes, and it will actually start working a nail out when you use a straight shaft nail. Oh, I was unaware of that. Okay, well, that's, and that's all probably I had. what's happening to you. But just Alrighty, sheet rock. take care, Charlie. Okay, thank you. Yep, just regular sheetrock mud. Okay, thanks, Jim. Steve, welcome to WBAP. How are you, Jim? Wonderful. How about you? I'm doing wonderful, except for an issue I have with a couple of my brick columns by my driveway. They're leaning on me due to the soil conditions, probably, which puts them up against the post for my gate and pushes my gate post over. Yep. Who do I need to talk to about a repair like that? Well, it will depend on how those columns were put in. If there is a beam underneath that ties the columns together, they can be underpinned and picked up and adjusted that way. If there's not a beam and it's just a square pad, you typically have to just tear the column down and relay the brick. And what about the post for the the uh, the gate, the iron gate? Yeah, it's the same. That's typically just a, a a hole that's dug or drilled into the ground. The post is set in concrete, and so over time, as the soils have been expanding and contracting, and the post has been moving and everything. It sometimes just gets to a point where you have to take the post out and reset it. Now, the nice thing on a metal post like that is normally you can just literally pick it up out of the hole, especially if you do it during a dry period of time where the soils are shrunk. There's usually enough give that you can force it up out of the ground, use a hammer to knock the uh, concrete off the post, realign your post, put new concrete in the hole, and it's set and ready to go again. But uh, the unfortunate thing is, depending on how the weather cycles go, this may be something you go through once every 10 years. 
it may be something you go through every 25 years it just depends on the weather cycles and and the soils as far as how expansive and contractive they are yeah this is on a 30 year old property that we bought and uh a lot of brickwork a lot of planters and the, the yep. columns are close together so they may have a a uh a beam under them like you said yeah and and if it does hey uh call due west we can come out and take a look and we can probe and tell you if there's concrete beams and stuff under them okay okay who do i who do i call then due west foundation repair at 972-406-0912 thank you very much jim i appreciate it thank you sir have a great one mary how can i help you today hi jim i uh, got a question we had a hot water heater that really went berserk and I noticed for about two days, three days, the water was extremely hot coming into the house. My husband went out and tried to turn it down to no avail. Make a long story short, we had to replace that hot water heater. We live in a single-story house. Um, we noticed after they had put in the hot water heater, where they were putting it in, that we had seepage of water in the garage because that is where the hot water heater is. The cracks in the garage we're seeping water coming up from the pipes, and it evidently it has gotten so hot it ruptured those pipes. So they were able to reroute the water, hot water pipes over into the garage, over the into the attic, and then come down again to serve this part of the house. My question: This water has left white marks, what sodium or chloride or whatever it is from that hot water. And we're getting ready to sell the house. We're getting the house ready. How do we correct that? Uh, what What is the white spots on? It's on the cement. On, on the uh, It's in our garage is what it is. Where okay. the hot water heater was, and the pipes ruptured, and water seeped up through these little minute cracks. And now right. we see the white residue. Okay. Wash that garage floor down with vinegar. Really? Yep. Vinegar is, you know, is 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 basically got acid in it, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. it really—I mean, you could wash it with acid, but you really shouldn't need anything near that harsh. So wash it with vinegar, and you'll find that the the vinegar will dissolve those mineral deposits because that's really all it is, and, oh and my uh, gosh. take it off yes. of there. That is great. Okay, just white vinegar, and don't dilute it. Just use the white vinegar to scrub it down. I, I I probably, you know, in the areas where you're having to really take it off right next to the things, I might wipe it down with a cloth that's got straight vinegar on it. Okay. For the okay, rest of the floor, it. just so that everything blends together. Okay. I would dilute it a little bit. Okay. Got but not, not a whole lot. Maybe a 50-50 dilution. Sounds good. I didn't know it would be that. We had even contemplated uh, painting the floor. Nah. Use okay. that vinegar. It'll make it look look like new again. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet, Mary. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 1-800-288-9227. That's 1-800-288-9227. Again, any home improvement question you have, pick up the phone, give me a call, and I'll see what I can use to 
help you out here on Texas Home Improvement. And you know where that vinegar comes in? When you clean a water heater, whether, and a lot of people don't realize this, but a tankless water heater is supposed to be cleaned once a year. They actually use a solution of vinegar to go through to clean out electric and gas type tankless water heaters. It takes all those mineral deposits off that are building up inside the pipes and, and gets rid of it. And it'll do the same thing on a concrete floor. The reason I would prefer using vinegar over an acid wash, acid will etch the concrete surface. The vinegar will just take off the mineral deposits and leave your concrete surface intact. So little tidbit of information there for you my next call and rick i'm gonna tell you up front i've only got about one minute before i got to take news break but let's see what we can do i found out my house was about 11 and a half years old i had a 30-year timberline roof on it but they found out i got a little bit of hail damage and uh -huh. i've been looking at a certain key is the brand name of the manufacturer of the uh, asbestos shingle and uh of course i was going to go with the Oh, the rhino, or it's a plastic instead of a tar paper. But I wanted to find out what you knew about Certainty and if you had any suggestions. Oh, Certainty is a is a is a good roof. You got no no problems with that at all. At all, uh, you got Certainty, you got GAF. You know, all of those are the the name brands, and everybody else just follows behind those. Here's a cautionary note because it used to be that we had 20-year and 30-year shingles. And, you know, the 30-year, everybody thought would be, oh, so much better. And if you were in the northern states, it is. But down here, because of the heat we have, the 20-year shingles will typically outlast the 30-year. The 30-years are, are thicker, and the heat buildup on them breaks down the material in them quicker. So typically I would tell people to stick with the 20-year, but now the shingle companies have kind of changed how they're labeling their shingles. It's no longer called a 20-year and a 30-year shingles, and uh, they got now they call them limited warranties and, and different things like that on them. So you mentioned that one of them was a 230 and one was a 250 or 60-pound mm -hmm. shingle. Yeah, I would not worry about the weights on them when they're that close together. Take a look at which one is going to be hail resistant for you and which one architecturally looks best for you okay. and go with that one. Okay. All right, well, I'm going to go with that. I think it's called Rhino, but it's a plastic or it's not felt. It's a new material underneath. Yeah. It, and, it's uh, a kind of a whitish colored material. It looks very thin, but it 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 almost looks like a Tyvek type material. Yeah, um, and then but it, it the guy, and, and it does very well. The guy's going to put some kind of I think it's called weather or winter guard in some areas that gets close to some oh where the roofs kind of come together and there could be a lot of water. He said he was going to add yep. that, which sounds like a good idea. Um, anything yeah. else I need to know? Well, a lot of the products you were just talking about, Guardian Roof Systems, have showed up to me. I was up on one of their roofs uh, last summer that they were doing uh, for one of our overhaul for Hero projects, and that's where I saw the uh, new felt that they were using. And uh, 
I like it. it. It's a very nice material, and I know you've already got your roof, but for everybody else that's listening, if you need a roofing contractor, give Guardian Roof Systems a call at 877-637-4380 because I tell you, a good roofer is hard to find. And, uh, Rick, you know, as far as any other things that you need to look at, drip edge. Uh, make sure that, you know, that they're changing out the drip edge to to uh, detail the roof out properly and what they're doing with the roof jacks. Any, you know, and that's any any place where the pipes are, you know, vent pipes are penetrating through the through the roof. You want to make sure that they've got good roof jacks. And how are they going to ventilate this roof for you? Ridge vent, and I'm also going to throw in a couple Skyhawks in a couple areas. I got good soft. Don't mix. Yeah, don't mix the two together. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you put a, a, a an air hawk and then you got a roof vent above it, instead of pulling air through the soffit, it will pull the air through that. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Air hawk. Okay. Good point. Good Path point. of least resistance. Okay. All right. Thank you. Lynn, how can I help you? Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I hope you're having a wonderful day. We're in the process of having a home built in uh, Austin in the Lake Travis area. Uh, from what I understand, it's uh, heavy in limestone. And uh, I'm looking for your recommendations on a filtration system. They use a lot of water softeners up there. And I was looking to see, because they recommended a water softener, and I was looking to see if there's a filtration system that'll actually take some of that salt out of the water, so you don't get that that residue feeling left on your skin. Well, actually, with a softener, it's not that you're getting a residue feeling, or it, it, it's not that there's something in the water that's causing that. It's the fact that the minerals have been taken out of the water, and that's why it gives you that silky feel. Uh, when when you feel, uh, in most places, you know the water is is not as hard as it is up in the hill country, but and so they don't really always have to have softeners. In when I lived in San Antonio, I had a softener because you just plain can't live there without it. But the feeling of that silkness is because there's no minerals that are rubbing together as you rub on your skin so it it just feels like the water is silky or has something in it when it's actually just pure water at that point oh so then you would recommend a softener without the filter because the one of the salespeople that came out and talked to us uh said that it actually will take some of the salt out so when you finish you know like showering you don't feel like you still have soap on you now it, it no, the filters, what they're going to do is take out some of the uh, debris and things that get into the water okay. through the pipes and all that stuff. But as far as it making it where where you don't have that silk feel, no, that ain't going to happen. All right, so then you would just recommend a, a water softener without the yes. uh, filters on it then? Okay. I would I uh, well first of all I would have my water checked first because some some areas do need the filters to take out some of the other contaminants prior to the softener but uh, as far as 
most places up there, all I need is the softener. Yeah, I know that it does have a high chlorine count. Um, if I can recall, and I'm driving right now, but if I can recall, I think they said it was like 12 or possibly 15. Okay. Yeah, and if that's the case, uh, you may need the, the a filter. But again, it needs to the, it, the the water needs to be first, and you get a lot of contaminants sometimes the, from the limestone into the water. So a lot of times they will put a filter first, then through the softener just to to take all the mineral deposits out and such. But who have you talked to about it so far? Um, I think the name of the company it was it was if I can recall it was U.S. I think it was U.S. Water in the okay, uh, and I and I apologize. I guess I'm in the car, and the the, uh, That's okay. the system started with the the system started with a K, Killa or Kilo. That's it. Thank you. Kin yeah, yeah. As long as they did a water test first and designed the system around yes. that, you should be okay. All right, and then the two systems that they had, one of them was electric, the one was not electric, and they recommended the non-electric, and it was actually a little bit uh, less expensive. I recommend it, the non-electric uh, as well. Okay, and they said the system does about 300,000 gallons uh, a year. Yeah, yeah, and the advantage to the, the more electronics and all that stuff you put on it, the more problems you can have with the system and you're looking for a basic water softener cleaning type system the more basic it can be yep, the sir. better off you'll be very good well i appreciate the information and i hope you have a wonderful day be safe you as well take mike and friends would how can i help you hi uh thanks for taking my call listen i got a question as i'm going to be repainting my dad's front porch and the major part of my question is how do I estimate how much paint I'm going to need but also I've got a wood metal and then uh, like a uh, composite garage door so will one paint fit them all can I use the KILZ the kills to get rid of this stuff on the the bottom of the gutter and uh what should i look out for i've got maybe wow i don't have much really to paint but i think it's going to be mostly a cut cutting cutting in yeah and uh okay and i'm not going to be able to well, use a roller on any of it i don't think because it's just all small stuff Sure. Mike, I'm going to put you on hold because i got to take a real quick break here. As soon as I come back, I'm going to come right back to you, and we'll talk about that paint issue for you. We were talking about uh, estimation of how much paint I need and the preparation because I think you already right. said that it'll cover any surface I want. Yeah, I mean, all the surfaces on the outside, unless you've got plastic gutters, uh, pretty no. much everything is paint paintable, so you should be fine to to paint it. The estimating part, it, it, like I say, you just gotta measure it, and basically it's square footage. Right. Um, and How much per gallon? Always, so. always go by the lower number 
the different paints have a different coverage rate. Okay. And so you have to look at whatever paint you're buying. One thing on purchasing paint, don't go with the cheap stuff. I, I agree. No problem there. Uh, I, I agree. And What's the best paint to get at Home Depot for outdoor use? Valspar. Valspar, okay. And that's what I was going to go with anyway. So it, good. how do I know how much to buy? I don't want to buy and then have to go back and back, and I don't want to buy too much and then have it all hanging out. Sure. Take a look at, you know, get your measurements as far as how many square feet, and then when you go down there, pick out the one the paint that you want to use and you'll just have to have your square footage and look at how much coverage per gallon it has so just give myself a good good idea of square footage which ain't really a whole lot and then uh yeah uh, okay now the preparation i think you already said was probably going to be the most important part which i'm that is the most about. important part okay uh, everything's got to be clean you don't want anything that's got any dirt or grease or anything like that on it. Uh, you mentioned some gutters that have some. Uh, is it rust on them or what's on there? Basically, it's it's atmosphere that it has condensed upon, and uh, you know the, this dirty air down here. It's not the greatest in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yep. So it it it's become condensed and 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 then impregnated. I think. And I was thinking I could use a pressure washer, but I don't want to blow the gutters you off. Can. Uh, you know? No, you can. You you just have to be careful with the pressure washer. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between 1,500 PSI and a 4,000 PSI pressure washer. Obviously. Either one can be used. With a 4,000, you just have to stay further away. Would would kills be a instead of using a pressure washing system? Would kills be a a, a valid uh, setup for the paint? No, no, because if you don't clean it first, all the kills is going to do is peel off just like paint would. I see. So we do want to pressure wash that that entire area. Everything I want to put a brush in. I'll be honest. I, a lot of times, will use the pressure washer and a broom and scrub it down with a broom just to take off as much as I can and then go ahead and let it dry and, and start painting at that point. Okay. If it's, it's already, already got paint it. on it, which it's, yeah, if it's already got paint on it and it sounds like it does, you don't need to use any primers or anything like that. Just go straight over the paint. Oop. Okay. John, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, I have a question about washing machine drains going to a septic tank. This, I, I recently bought a house that has a drain that was abandoned that goes to the septic tank, and they someone uh -huh. at some point came in and added a drain that looks like it goes to a gray field. But the way they uh, put the drain in is kind of questionable to me. It's on right. the surface of the wall. It goes down into a straight 90. It goes from from where the normal drain of the washing machine is. It goes down about 24 inches, and then it takes a hard 90 and goes out the house, and then takes a 45 and goes out into through the wall, out into the yard. And it's probably from that 45 goes out about another two foot where it goes out into the yard. Okay. 
So my question is, you know, what can you tell me about gray water and drains and uh, washing machines? And, and it is not and uncommon. Is... Uh, I was going to say it's not uncommon for homes that have a septic tank to not put the washing machine water in the septic tank because it, it fills them quick. You know, the, the whole problem with septic tanks really isn't the tank. It's the leach field where the water soaks out into the ground. And because washing machines used to put out so much water, they used to avoid hooking them up on the septic systems. Nowadays, you know, with your, with your newer ones, especially the front loads, they use so much less water. You can get away with it longer, but still, if you're going to do several loads of laundry in a day, you can fill up your leach field. Uh, just like if we have a, a ton of rain, you'll start seeing where the leach field isn't working properly. Your washing machine can do the same thing. And so in order to avoid that, a lot of people will run a gray water line like what you're describing uh, and keep it out of the is septic system. Is it normal system. to have the pipe come outside the house and go at a 45 degree angle, two foot into the yard, to the to the gray water field. No. Normally, okay. they'll just punch it straight through the wall, drop straight down to the ground, and then take it out that way. A lot of people used to use even roll up hoses, like a two inch discharge hose from a water pump, and just run it straight out into the yard. So I can't say that there's any right or wrong way, but you don't necessarily want to be looking at all those pipes. But yeah, they probably didn't want to dig up. The back, this pipe sticks out yeah. from the back of the house about two foot. Yeah, you you can easily just because I'm I'm assuming it's all PVC at this point, right? Right, right. Yeah, there's no reason you can't just cut all that off and replumb it up tight on the house and and then just have an elbow at the bottom taking it out. Is it an issue that the the drain pipe from the washing machine goes down into a straight 90 versus like a sweep? No. Okay. A, a washing machine discharges under pressure. The only issue that you may have is if it if it doesn't make that bend fast enough, it can start backing up in the in the line with a sweep. It'll tend to flow a little quicker because it's not hitting the bottom and then making the elbow. Uh, the other thing I would tell you is, you know, sometimes people try to get away with an inch and a half line. Uh, if mm -hmm. you're going to put just a hard turn that way, use a two-inch line. Yeah, this is all all piped on the surface as an inch and a half. The original pipe was two inch that went into the septic system and someone yep. put an inch and a half on the surface at some point. Yeah, and like I said, uh, people f try to do that all the time. For a washing machine discharge line, you're always better off with a two-inch. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Okie doke. You have a good afternoon. Thank you. Bye. Judy, this is Jim. How can I help you? Well, Jim, I'm in a house that was built in 1983. I don't think the paint on the doors of the woodwork has ever been up to, upgraded, but I want to get them all painted, and it looks like they're oil-based enamel. How do I prep yep. that to take something a lot more user-friendly? 
by something more user-friendly? What do you want to put on there? Well, just a good, durable, latex, water-soluble type. Working with oil-based paint is just so hard. Yeah. And messy. They make a a water-based paint specifically for doing wood trim. Mm -hmm. It's a latex with a, and I always mispronounce it, but uh, accolade in it. Uh, it, it. So you still get that hard surface like you get with oil-based paint. Okay. As far as prepping, all you got to do is make sure that it's good and clean. No sanding or anything, huh? You're not supposed to have to. I will tell you, I'm an old oil-based guy. I still shop around, get my old oil-based paint and put it on mm -hmm. because I, I'm just not comfortable with the new paints yet. But uh, they tell me, no, that you're able to just go ahead and over the oil base because it to be if you put latex on the oil base or vice versa, they would peel. Oh, yeah. But they'd so say I... that this does not. So what's it called? Uh, just tell, if you go into Ace Hardware, okay. Uh, just tell them you're doing wood, and they'll they'll hook you up with the right paint for it. Okay, thank you so okay. much. Appreciate you. You bet. Hey Jim, I enjoy your show and info you provide. A couple of times I've heard you say that your home is over three thousand square foot. Well, it's just under three thousand. Uh, and you have a $200 electric bill. I have not heard where you have your thermostat set. Perhaps I missed that on one of your shows, and I am interested. Well, I will tell you, <clears throat> I don't like my, high, my house too hot. So I typically, now I work outside a lot, so I typically have the thermostat in the house set at 73 sometimes i'll drop down to 72 but most of the time 73 degrees but if i start feeling a little bit warm i'm gonna drop it i got no problem adjusting it i know a lot of people think oh to get 200 dollars, i'm probably moving it up to you know 78 degrees ah, absolutely not i'm not I, I work way too hard to be uncomfortable in my house and like i said with a 200 dollars electric bill i don't need to have it way up high now a lot of times the way where this question is coming from is how do i get it there i have radiant barriers in the house now i have actually two radiant barriers in my attic i've got the radiant barrier plywood decking but then on my attic floor i use the energy q radiant barrier which is a multi-layer system that keeps the heat that gets into the attic from penetrating into my living space. I have very little insulation. The areas that do have insulation have eh, typically about three, four inches, and about a third of the house has no insulation at all, just the radiant barriers. But insulation, as we all know it, is actually an antiquated system. The radiant barriers will do most of what we need done properly put together. Now most people are familiar with spray on radiant barriers which block 95 or I'm sorry block 65 percent of the radiant heat. Foil barriers will block 95 percent of the radiant heat but most of us are only familiar with the single ply type foil radiant barriers that are nailed up on the roof rafters. The energy Q rate and well, I'm sorry when you use a single ply radiant barrier 
it's got to be open. In other words, you can't have it sandwiched in between stuff. It needs that dead airspace to work. A multi-layer system has a thermal break in between two layers of radiant barrier. Therefore, it doesn't need that dead airspace, and that's why you're able to lay it down on the attic floor. And the way I can really tell that this radiant barrier is working in my home, I have it blanketed across all my insulation. I have a side entry door into my attic, so I have a sheet hanging there. And I, on my pull-down staircase at the other end of the house, I leave a sheet laying down on top of it. So when I pull that staircase down, I don't feel any heat at all. When I move that sheet of radiant barrier aside, it's just a gush of warm air. And then that's where this question comes from. How, you know, where do I keep my thermostat? And that's why they're questioning the temperature of my home. Uh, but again, I have just shy. When I say just shy, it's like my house is like 2,980 square feet. And I run a $200 electric bill. And like I said, do not believe in being uncomfortable in my home. And my house is all electric. I also have a tankless water heater. But the things I've done to make my house able to do that, my house was built in 1973. I've added the radiant barriers. I changed out my windows with America's Choice windows. So I've done things to make the house more energy efficient and able to do these things. And I've got one item left I'm going to do. I'm still going to use foam insulation in my walls. And that's going to be to seal up all the air gaps and increase the R value in the walls. I'm not interested in doing it in the attic because if I want to add more R value in the attic, I simply can add more insulation. But with that radiant barrier up there, I'm just not worried about it. Dan, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Yeah, I had a uh, you know a prefab fireplace put in with a the builder grade fireplace, and we pulled it out and put it in an isokern uh, modular system. And I built the hearth and uh, put in a about an inch and a quarter thick piece of granite for the hearth, and I built it so that if, if this happened, and I thought it might, I could get it out easy. So it's not attached; it's sitting on a piece of uh, hardy plank, but it cracked. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the best uh, heat-resistant product that I can put down. I'm, you know, looking for some kind of natural stone, but I really didn't do the research to figure out which one could handle, you know, a lot of heat because we burn, you know, hot fire, hot fires in the winter. Man, you must be burning some kind of hot fire because that granite typically should have been able to handle that. How, is that how right? thick of granite was it? Yeah. I think it was standard inch, maybe inch and an eighth, something like that. I mean, it was, it was a solid piece. Okay. Yeah, t that should have been able to handle it. Now, one thing you mentioned, though, that could have played into this, it wasn't attached. So it was just free sitting there, correct? Correct, on this hardy plank. And I built a very strong uh, underlayment system out of two boxes. As long as it was totally flat, because if it had any imperfections in it at all, where there was any type of give on that granite, uh, it would snap it. Uh, but as far as a place that you could call and ask about because you, you know, you're wanting to use a natural stone, call Stone Age Granite and talk with them about it. 
And okay. have you, you haven't thrown that piece of granite away yet, have you? Oh, no, no. In fact, you know, my wife hasn't even seen the crack yet. So she's... Okay. It's real small, you know, but I've noticed it, so... Well, the like reason it. I was saying, uh, you know, don't throw it away until after you talk with them. Okay. Because the granite should have been able to handle the heat, that that uh, that amount of heat, I, without a problem, unless you're putting the fire directly on it. Then, you know, maybe you could have an issue with it. But these guys okay. are masters at actually uh, putting the uh, a broken piece of granite back together and make so like it I where say, you don't yeah. see that crack. Okay, it's not, you know, the crack doesn't make it all the way to the other side. It's real sure. fine, but so they can actually seal it somehow? Yep, yeah, they've got some products, some epoxies that they can mix in, in colors with it and fill it in and, and mix the different colors to, to match back so that it virtually doesn't show. Awesome. Thank you so much. You bet. Have a great weekend or great afternoon at this point. Okay. Thank you. My neighbor's sprinkler system sprays over my driveway every day. I do have a few trees on his side, but my, prop the, my property in the affected area, I'm wondering how much impact a constant sprinkler of water has on a driveway. We are having issues with the section of driveway rising up and cracking. It is 30 years old, I should add. Hmm. My question is, does watering over the driveway every day cause more problems for a cement driveway? Should I ask my neighbor to install a different type of nozzle that does not allow water to penetrate the driveway? Well, First of all, concrete is porous, so water hitting the driveway will soak down through it, but typically water sprinkling and that's hitting the driveway isn't going to cause it to heave like that. Normally, the issues you would have from the driveway getting hit that way is going to be that it will stain the driveway. You know, it'll be discolored and you'll see that little half moon circle or whatever on it where the water's hitting it. I think... If there's trees in that area where the driveway is being hit, it's more likely that roots are growing there and pushing the driveway up than it is the soil pushing it up. And yes, soil does expand with moisture. As it dries out, it shrinks. When it gets wet, it expands again. But normally, just watering from a sprinkler system doesn't soak deep enough in the soil to cause these type of issues. It, you see it's the top five to seven foot that expand and push a foundation up or dry out and let the foundation settle. And yard sprinkler systems typically only water the top two to three inches unless it's something that's done heavily on a daily basis. Then it would start soaking down. That's a reason for uh, watering systems for a foundation you actually use a soaker pipe or pipe with emitters uh, that allow the moisture to sink deep down into the soil. Uh, our soil typically, if you're on that black gumbo clay soil, it will only absorb about an eighth of an inch of water an hour. So again, I really don't think that's what's causing the problem. And the fact that it's a 30-year-old driveway, more than likely it's the tree roots pushing it up. There's no weight to a driveway. 
You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.